Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Tracy back in the stew. How are we doing? Doing pretty well. <laughs> Tired, uh, but doing well and can't complain because why would I ever complain? How was your trip to St. Martin, my friend? The trip was good. Uh, the week was good. The The flight back was a little rougher. Getting in in the middle of the night and uh, here we are Sunday morning putting this all together. But again, can't complain. Why would I complain? What um I wanted to ask you, but I because we were talking about this last night, but I figured I'd save it for the episode. What airline did you fly? Uh JetBlue. And I don't want to Ah, there I, it is. I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna criticize JetBlue because they they out of everything I've flown, JetBlue is I think by far the best. Uh what happened yesterday was something like somebody else needed the plane that was supposed to come get us and <laughs> What? So <laughs> Someone had, else needed it? The the plane had to go somewhere else. So we you know, we got a different one. Uh who I feel bad for are the people who are delayed going on vacation. You know, yeah. coming back. Coming back, it is what it is. But the people who got there a few hours later than they expected, uh that that's rough. So, you know, could have it worse. That's true. I have a uh I guess I guess it would be a horror story from JetBlue. I was so glad that you said JetBlue because um Earlier this year, when I was in between jobs, I took like two weeks off in between in January, and, and my girlfriend and I wanted to go somewhere. We didn't really know where to go. So we said, oh, you know, let's go visit your aunt and uncle down in Florida. They live in Merritt Island. You know, it's by like the space station and everything. So they got like the rockets flying in and out all the time. It's pretty cool. Well, not in, but <laughs> out. <laughs> so, you know, we went down there, had a great time. So I was starting my orientation for my new job on Wednesday of like the next week. So we said, all right, we'll fly, we'll fly back on Monday. Then we'll have, I'll have all of Tuesday to get all my papers ready. I just needed like the essentials, you know, the passport, like three forms of identification, uh, some forms I had to fill out, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, we were flying JetBlue and this was, uh, you were, were you still living in New York at the time in January when there was a, uh, there was that s- snowstorm. I was up in Boston. You know, for for school, so yeah. So the I'm sure you remember the snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much same thing. So there was a snowstorm, and that happened while we were in Florida. But it was three days in between when our flight was supposed to be, and when the storm happened. So obviously, should be cleared away by then. So Monday, our flight is at like three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't really remember the time. Let's say three. So right away, yeah, eleven o'clock comes. No, it couldn't have been three. It was like eight. Let's let's say eight. So 11 o'clock comes, they push our flight back. I get a text from JetBlue. All right, it's pushed back to like nine. I was like, all right, no big deal, an hour, whatever. And then uh, I go on a gator tour, you know, the fan boat. Yeah. So, so I'm on a fan boat and I get another text from JetBlue. It was like, oh, flight delayed until 1125. And now I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of, that's kind of significant. So then we get on the phone with JetBlue and we're like, hey, is this flight going to be canceled? Because then we have to make other arrangements because we have to get back right. latest like Tuesday. You know, it's not a big deal if we don't get back Monday, but like, what are we doing here? And they were like, no, no, don't worry about it. We have a plane for the flight. There's just no crew. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that that does not sit well with me. I even asked the woman on the phone. I was like, is there some kind of like quick like training that I could do? I'll be a member of the flight crew, <laughs> like, like just so I can get home. And she laughed and she was like, no, obviously you can't do that and everything, but so we're on the phone with her for a while, and then she goes, oh, good news. You guys got a crew. And I'm like, oh, hallelujah. So now we think that the flight is on. So we go to the airport. So we're sitting there. 
we, you know, we, we go through security, everything like that. <laughs> We're sitting at, at the, uh, at the gate, just sitting, 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 get a text flight canceled. Okay. So this is we're it's like Monday night now where we were already basically supposed to either close to home or home already. So we run up to the kiosk and we're like, Oh, when's the next flight? So this is Monday, right? She goes, can't get you back to New York until Thursday. Thursday. I'm like, Oh geez. I'm like, that's too late. So I'm like, is there anything you guys could do for us? Like, is there any flight going to uh, Newark, LaGuardia? We were going to fly into JFK. Like, is there anywhere, anywhere else? Teterboro? I don't know. Any, 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 anywhere. Any you can give us. Yeah. Even Connecticut. I was like, whatever can get us close to home. I was like, I don't even care. Boston, whatever. No, everything was so, everything at JFK was so backed up and they were diverting so many flights that they were like days behind. When it yeah. came to like, like, it wasn't like hours, it was days behind. So whatever. So the woman was like, I can't help you. I was like, well, how about a flight on a different airline? She was like, can't help you. Not our, not out, yeah. out of she our discretion. And I'm just like, all right, well, that's rude. So my girlfriend's like panicking. And it's funny because like, she didn't have work. I was starting a new job and I was starting orientation. So I had to be there and I'm just like calm as a cucumber. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like we'll figure out a way home. So I look up Amtrak. We missed the last Amtrak from, from Florida to New York by like 20 minutes. I'm like, great. So I told her, I'm like, let's just get in a car and drive. And she's like, it's nine o'clock. I'm like, so I'm like, let's just go. Like we have a whole day. <clears throat> it takes people like 19 hours to drive. Like, yeah, it's going to be close, but we'll, we'll be there. So we hop in a car, I'm driving, I'm going like 100 plus miles per hour the entire way home. Uh, in that, like, I don't know what the mileage between New York City and wherever we were in Florida, Orlando International Airport was, but I saw two cops the entire way from. Yeah. <laughs> from That's and, what I've heard. That's what I've heard about that stretch. Yeah. Need, needless to say, make it home. I think I made it home Tuesday night around like nine o'clock. So with not too much time to spare. I had to be up at like like four thirty the next day to get into the city. So you know, I live on I live in Queens, so yeah. I had to go into the heart of the city. So I, it was just I know that went a lot longer, but I figured I had to uh, describe the entire episode because it was just something out of like the worst travel movie ever. I felt like I was in Home Alone when they're trying to get back and they just can't find a way to get back to to New York. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah, it doesn't even sound that like it was too weather related. It was a crew. No. You know, the crew issue started everything. Well, they said that it was because they had a um at JFK they had like a mass COVID outbreak in the JetBlue wing. So they That's had like, it was that time of year. And then yeah, they had like no, no no crew members for anything. So I'm like, is it just abandoned at JFK? Like it's a free-for-all once you get there. Like <laughs> find your get your luggage off the plane, like do whatever you gotta do. Nobody's flying the planes. <clears throat> <laughs> they're just taking they're taking people with slight aviation experience so like listen did you have you flown a simulator before it's same thing yeah, but, a few more people and they would have been up to you yeah right would've i would have done it too i would have been on the news for horrible reasons but anyway <laughs> thank god you are back you are home very excited to get this episode started we don't have too much for you guys today uh besides for really the last couple of days there wasn't really much going on in the world of sports in terms of news i mean yeah, which you know. we, you know, we talked about it a few days ago and saying, well, you know, it's a quiet week. There's not much going on. And I think uh, two or three hours later, Tatis was suspended 80 games out of nowhere. You know, like most suspensions, I don't think you see a, any steroid suspension coming, but that was like out of left field. 
And I said, sure enough, you know, there's always something that happens. You, you, we don't know up until up until when we're recording what, what we're actually going to be talking about because constantly changing, constantly evolving. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's the first thing that we really wanted to touch upon today was, you know, that's that was probably the most significant story. And like you said, it came out of left field, but obviously you're, you're never going to get like a like a Ken Rosenthal update where it's like maybe suspended. Like it, it's a definite suspension usually when it's. It, it's not the NFL, so when it's a definite suspension when 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 it's reported, but it definitely caught me off guard, and and um, you know it's disappointing. It really is because as a fan of baseball, being this long in the season without Tatis itself is is you know upsetting. But now you know we have to wait basically until next year for him to play, right? And and that's. Does the suspension carry over into the regular season next year? Yeah, I or- think until, until something like the uh, the middle of May. Oh boy, next year. Oh boy, yeah. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go over a year pretty much without seeing one of the most exciting electric players in baseball. But at the same time, I can't help but think that he's just doing all this to himself. He signed that massive extension, and he's kind of just like I, I don't want to make it sound like oh he's doing whatever he wants to do. But that's really what he's doing. He's doing whatever he wants to do in kind of some disregard towards the organization, I feel like. Yeah, and I mean, even if his explanation, which I don't think anybody believes, but it, let's say his explanation that he took a, he took something for Ringworm and he, he didn't realize that it had I thought that was something that only dogs get, by the way. <laughs> I, I've got no idea. But apparently he, he got the medication wrong. Like there is a, there is a medication with a similar name to what he tested positive for that can be used to treat ringworm. And, but what he tested positive for was not that one. There's different, some different letters, but it's a completely <laughs> different, completely different uh, medication. But, you know, in, in this, in some uh, fantasy world where his explanation is totally correct, telling the truth, it's still his fault. If you are making that much money, or even if you're not, if you're a baseball player uh, on a, decent sized contract and you've got an agency and you've got guys around you uh you've your father played major league baseball you're supposed to go check every single thing that comes into your body because you you know you you can't just you can't just take anything uh and something comes up on a test and you're like oh well you know i I didn't mean to so uh you know it's not my fault it is your fault you were being reckless you know even if you weren't intentionally doing something which he probably was let's not absolve him of any of any guilt there uh you you're being negligent with what you put in your body and if you're uh, a superstar player mvp candidate on this team that's hoping to be a postseason contender win a championship uh, and you're negligent about what you put in your body it is your fault and of course we know that the wrist injury is his fault too so the reason he missed four months was because he was on a motorcycle when he probably shouldn't have been. Apparently he got into more than one motorcycle accident, which you think the first one would tell you, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But all of these things are either on his doing or at least his negligence. And that is a problem. Yeah. I I just think that's where the selfishness comes in into play where, you know, you look at guys who've signed absolutely crazy extensions. First one that comes to mind is Patrick Mahomes. Now I know it's it's different, it's a different sport. But Patrick Mahomes not only you know does the right thing, he stays out of the the head the headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh you know, the first thing that he did after he signed that mega extension was basically embrace the city of Kansas of Kansas City. You know, he went in, he he bought 1% of the Royals, he he fully immersed himself in the city 
in in Kansas City itself if he wasn't beforehand. I'm not saying that Tatis has to do that with the city of San Diego, but it kind of feels like he's still a stranger in that town where he just he signed it. You don't really hear too much from him that's positive, I feel like, in, in the media. There's always something wrong going on. You know, like you said, whether it's the multiple motorcycle accidents, now it's this PED suspension. You know, if if I'm the San Francisco the San Francisco Padres, if I'm the San Diego Padres, I'm a little upset. You know, we we built this team basically centered around you and you're the only one that's not playing right now. And uh, I would be a little upset, especially with the money that he's making. And it seems very childish as well. I mean, like, I, I mean, a PED suspension doesn't seem childish, but just the, the injuries itself was non-baseball related. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And uh, one person that rubbed the wrong way that was in media was his own teammate, Mike Clevenger. I don't know if you saw yeah. what Clevenger said. And that was, it was pretty straightforward. And it seemed like the, the message that the rest of the clubhouse had as well. It, it, you know, it's not sunshine and rainbows. They're, they're upset with Fernando Tatis and rightfully so. And I also thought it was funny that someone like Mike Clevenger, who has played like five games in his San Diego Padres career uh, is also saying, Oh, you know, we need him on the field, but I understood what he was saying. And uh, I, I fully agreed with him. I don't have the quote. Do you have, do you have any of those quotes that he, that he what? said? I don't have his quote. I did pull up AJ Preller's quote because that, you know, this is coming from leadership now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was pretty telling. And it was also pretty quick after the news came out. Uh, AJ Preller, the GM, if you don't know, said, uh, these things only work when there's trust both ways. I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to have plenty of conversation about, uh, plenty of conversation and time to talk to Fernando about. That's something clearly, if we're going to have a partnership and a real relationship, we're going to have to make sure that that's strong. And then, you know, that that's not really something you hear that often from a GM. And of course, you know, what Mike Clevenger said, and I think Joe Musgrove said something very similar. That's not something you hear very much from players about their own teammates. But, um, you know, Clevenger has never played a game with Tatis. You know, part, part of it is because he was coming back from Tommy John surgery, didn't play last year. Uh, but, you know, Clevenger is somebody that uh, he he's Tatis has got to get on his good side. Like there's no, you know, there's no goodwill between them because they've never played together. Tatis has got to earn his way into Mike Clevenger's trust. He's got to earn his way into Juan Soto's trust. He's got to earn his way into all these new teammates that the Padres are constantly bringing in. Uh, and if you just came on board this season and, you know, you, you thought you were signing up for, or at least you thought you were joining this team with this dynamic, what is he, 23-year-old superstar, yeah. uh, he's doing all these things to keep himself off the field. You've got to feel betrayed a little bit. And I think uh, A.J. Preller, who invested $340 million in him, uh, made it very clear that he feels betrayed, and uh, you know this isn't this is not a situation where like oh they're going to dump him after this year because there's a fractured relationship. Like no, you you know you've committed. You, sorry, you, you've given him 14 years, uh, and I, I don't know if it's 12 or 13 years left. I'm sure the the contract took effect right away, but you're in for the long haul, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Down the line, if he f- continues to violate your trust but also plays well, you know there's a potential out. That a team might be willing to take on uh, what isn't isn't a ton of annual value uh, for a, a dynamic superstar kind of player, but for now they are stuck with each other. I, I think the Padres understand that. I don't think they're looking to move on or anything like that. But there's definitely got to be some some bridges rebuilt. Yeah, like like you said too. I mean, they invested three hundred and forty million dollars into the guy. Uh, 
you, there's got to be some ownership in in your past, you know, transgressions. I want to say, and Tatis has to. I think Tatis has to come out and verbally apologize not only to the San Diego Padres fans, but the management, his teammates. He's got to come out and just own this and be like, you know what? This year is a wash for me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be better next year and just get back to doing what he does best, and that's playing baseball. I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate. Like I said, as a baseball fan. I do love watching Fernando Tatis play baseball. I think he's every time he touches the ball or he hits the ball, something electric is going to happen. Um, you know, in, in terms of a PR, in terms of PR this year, the MLB's kind of scrambled to find people to kind of to make up what what he's done. I mean, you think of O'Neill Cruz as one of the guys too. Otani is always going to cover, you know, part of that as well. But you know, it it. it it's a suspension and injury that has multiple levels of effect to it, where it doesn't just affect the San Diego Padres itself. I think it's disappointing. I'm sure you think it's disappointing as well. I, I hope that he just basically comes out and says, hey, listen, guys, my bad. Just take total ownership of it. And you know what? Mistakes happen. You know, I, I know that it's an expensive mistake. It, it's not a very good looking mistake, but things happen like who are we who are we to judge further than that you know you 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 apologize you wipe the slate clean and you come back next year and you play some baseball yeah we know that we know we all know that if he plays next year like he did in 2020 and 2021 they're going to forget about it i think you know yeah. other fans will probably will probably remind them of the suspension for a while but oh i'm padres sure fans padres fans and and teammates uh in the front office are going to move on from this pretty quickly if he can stay out of trouble uh, stay out of any any off-field issues, keep the headlines on, on the field, and play like an MVP candidate. And we know that that's the type of player he is, and he'll still only be 24 next year. If he can do that, uh, I think this is going to be behind him pretty quickly in terms of a Padres standpoint. I think they're going to rebuild that relationship. You know, there's, yeah. there's plenty of time for him to fix that. Yes, I think fans from around the league are probably going to let him hear it for a while. Uh, and he's got to own that because, like I said, even you know, even if even if this was an honest mistake, he was being negligent, uh, and he's got to own that. There, you don't, you just don't see steroid suspensions left and right nowadays. I think uh, Frankie Montas a few years ago had one. That was one of the notable ones. Cano had one in 2018, uh, and then before that, I think of A Rod and Ryan Braun and Nelson Cruz in 2013. These big ones don't come around that often. You've got to be negligent to be caught for something like this, even if you're not doing something intentionally. So I, I think this is going to linger with him for a while, even if he, him and the Padres fix that relationship. The, the fans are going to let him hear it. And when Major League Baseball tries to promote him, because they love promoting him, and why wouldn't they? He's such a, a fun player to watch. Uh, people are going to make it known that they, you know, they, they think he's a cheater or they think he's uh, at least immature. Uh, that's something he's going to have to carry with him and you know, for, through no, Nobody else's fault. It's his fault. He's got he's to rebuild that relationship with the fans. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny to see us going from talking about someone that is basically fully um, – he, he's the one that is in control of making his mistakes and injuries and all that to kind of transitioning to someone who has had the worst injury luck I think I've ever seen in quite some time. And uh, you brought this up, and I think that this is a great topic. Uh, we're talking about Chris Sale here with this one. Right. Yeah, Chris Sale, it's, it's funny. When he was, I, I was telling you, when he was coming up first few years, 
becoming an ace in Chicago. A lot of people said they saw his pitching motion uh, and they saw how he threw and they said, oh, well, he's going to be hurt. Like he's going to be either – it wasn't even so much Tommy John. A lot of people thought the shoulder would be the issue because he had this this funky windup that he still has. Yeah. That brings his arm so far back and then like snaps it forward. Uh, a lot of people said, oh, he's going to be hurt. And they looked at his build too. He's so thin. Uh, and said that he's going to be dealing with injuries. This isn't going to last. And sure enough, I, I I don't know if there was any pitcher that was healthier during his time with the White Sox. I think from from 2012 to 2018, I mean he he made all his starts. He had countless top six, top five Cy Young finishes, even though he never won one. He proved everybody wrong. And then, you know, Tommy John surgery came along in 2020, uh, and it happens. I mean, of course, the guys who throw harder are the ones who usually have Tommy John surgery, but it really does affect everybody. It feels like at some point. Um, but ever since then, he just hasn't been able to put it all together. I don't even know what the issue was last year in 2021 that kept him off the field for, I think all, but like nine starts. Yeah. I, I have the, um, I actually, yeah. while you were talking about that, not that I wasn't paying attention, but I figured <laughs> it would be interesting to pull up the list of injuries yeah. that he's had basically since the, definitely the, um, Red Sox have won the World Series, and he was an integral part of that. You obviously think of the last pitch of the World Series as him striking out Machado on a slider, you know. So, so you think, oh, Chris Sale, that you know, what's one of the most popular things to look up on YouTube? The last pitch of X amount of World Series, and you're going right. to see Chris Sale there in folklore. But you know, um, this is every time that he's been on a list. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, um, specify which one: 15, 10, 60, whatever it may be. So um, July 28th, 2018, he went on the IL for left shoulder inflammation. Then August 17th in 2019, he went for elbow problems. Uh, March, 20, March 26th in 2020, elbow problems. February 18th, 2021, elbow problems. He went on the COVID IL um, last September with COVID. Yes. Um Earlier, <laughs> earlier this year in April, he went on the IL with a rib injury, and then obviously he came back, pitched like two thirds of an inning, and got a hundred and seven mile per hour line drive ripped right off of his pinky, uh, and that was in July of this year. And then what was the? It was a bicycle incident, right? Yeah, bicycle accident. Now he Christ <laughs> came out this week that he fractured his wrist, and while he was trying to come back from the fractured finger, uh, this ended a season. You know, he he wasn't playing right now, but he would have been back at some point. Whether that made a difference for the Red Sox or not at this point, who knows? But he's done now, and so that 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 ends up to eleven starts in three years. Eleven starts in three years. I think that's worth repeating. Ah, uh, you know the classic uh, the classic rehabbing my pinky injury by riding a bicycle. <laughs> 48 innings and I'm not going to blame him for the, the bicycle accident no it's you know, an everyday not, thing like you know what am I going to say oh, people you know. use it to get around I get it yeah. but it's different than the motorcycle you know because Tatis apparently had first of all motorcycles inherently more dangerous especially when you're making 340 million apparently don't even have to go into that <laughs> but, you know, like I think I mentioned before it was not his first incident with the motorcycle there were reports yeah. coming out that he had a few of them uh, yeah, so so th this is not the same. Chris Sale on a in a involved in a bicycle accident is not the same. It's not like he needed his pinky to ride the bicycle. Uh, <laughs> at least I don't think so. So <laughs> th this really falls under the category of terrible luck. I mean, I I could just pick like I feel bad for the guy, and um, 
I feel bad for the Red Sox organization for as soon as the World Series winning season was over, they handed him a five-year, $150 million extension, and he's basically played, what did you say, 48 innings since that extension was signed pretty much? Yeah, 48 innings. And um, Well, well, well 20, yeah, 2019, he had a, a near full season, but the, he, the contract didn't take effect yet. Okay, so the 48 innings since the contract took effect. The contract took effect in 2020 when he missed the entire season. And then um, I, I'm just picturing now, like, like someone with bad luck, like he goes, all right, honey, I'm going to go out for a bike ride, like gets on, you know, puts his flip flops on, goes for a nice like bike ride through like some park in Boston. And the first thing I thought of immediately was him hitting the floor and him holding his wrist like Peter Griffin. Where he goes like, <laughs> ah, for like 10 minutes. I, I, I know it's not funny to poke fun at people's injuries. That was just the first thing that came to my mind when, when we said that he fell off of a bicycle, but uh, it, and you hate to say that it's bad business because of all the unfortunate things, but like, see, that's an unfortunate incident that's not baseball related, but injuries are baseball related, I feel like. And and I feel like the Red Sox kind of knew what was coming with a 30 plus year old Chris Sale with his pitching mechanics and his wiry frame. But you, I mean, with what they traded for him and also the fact that they won a World Series with him, you kind of had to give him that extension. So like, I don't blame the Red Sox for giving him that extension, but it just looks like a terrible piece of business with hindsight being 2020 as of right now. Yeah, you know who could have used that money too? Anyone remember who they traded a year later? Mookie Betts. Yeah. You know, they 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 made a big deal about how Mookie Betts wouldn't take any of their offers. Uh, and they just couldn't keep him. They had to trade him. I mean, yeah, because they gave $29 million a year to Chris Sale. You know, if, if you had, at, at the time, uh, after the extension and into 2020, of course you didn't have the money to pay for Mookie Betts because you gave a, a pitcher who was turning 31 at the beginning of the deal a five-year, $145 million extension. I you know, at, at the time, listen, it, it's a different time. Chris Sale was coming off. Let me find it here. He, he finished... Uh, in Cy Young voting. This is the seven years before he signed the extension. Sixth, fifth, third, fourth, fifth, second, and fourth. You really pulled you really you really pulled that up real fast then. That was like because <laughs> yeah, well, I was, was trying to look second. I was trying to look at the innings he had thrown and, and baseball <laughs> reference is so amazing that they've got all the information you can need yeah. within one, within a swipe. We're so, not sponsored by 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 them. We by are the not, way. but if they want to give us some money, feel free. Uh, he even he even finished. He got some down ballot MVP votes each year, twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen. He was that good, but like we said, you know, he he was somebody who's got this weird. He's got a a very thin frame, weird pitching motion. Um, you, you look at his track record, and there's really no reason not to give him an extension. But if you want to project the future, there, there might have been a reason to be a little cautious. But then again, you know, you can't offer him less because if you offer him less, he's leaving. So you, now you yeah. have a choice between him leaving. Um, after 2019, and you've you don't have an ace left, and you know this team that won the World Series has kind of fallen by the wayside. I, I understand it, but they probably should have looked ahead and thought about okay, what what's it going to take to keep Mookie Betts under contract, and is yeah. that a better investment than giving money to a pitcher on the wrong side of 30? Well, I mean, I I think it's it's funny because with with extensions for players that just won a world series, you almost never hear complaints for it. But the second that the ink was dry on that paper, 
there was a lot of complaints and there was a lot of people predicting, well, this extension is just not going to last. And I always thought that that was strange. And, and it, it has come to fruition to the point where it's like, it's a terrible contract extension. That's basically what it comes down to. And, and like I said, it's, it's unfortunate. They could have used that money for Mookie. But then again, I did hear, like, I don't know how true this is. I did read some reports that saying that Mookie was kind of behind the scenes forcing his way out of Boston because of racial abuse. So I don't know how much. I don't, I don't know how much stock I would put into that. I don't know how true that is. But, I mean, it is the city of Boston. They don't have the greatest track record. So I wouldn't be surprised if that there was some truth to that. But you're right. If, if that was not an issue and they said, look, Mookie, this is the best that we can give you. And I'm sitting there and I'm Mookie Betts. And I'm like, well, you just gave, you know, Bojangles $145 million. <laughs> you know, where, where's my cut? Um, I could definitely see him taking issue with that and forcing his way out via trade because they didn't want to give him the money. And then, of course, you go to the you know the Dodgers who hands anyone a blank checkbook. You know, you, you're going to get exactly what you want. But I just think in terms of Chris Sale, I think it's horrible luck. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for the Red Sox organization that, of course, is taking heat for an extension that was justified at the time. But I'll tell you what, Dan, what wasn't justified at the time, or at least now looking back again, this is like this is like the contract segment of, of this episode. <laughs> we got to switch over to Patrick Corbin, who is by far, in my opinion, the worst pitcher in baseball. And he has been for at least the last like three years. But this year, it's exceptionally bad. It's it's almost impressive. I mean, to <laughs> how many starts has he had now where he can't get out of the first or second inning? And, you know, this is a season where run production is down. This is not uh, anything like 2017 when he had a nice year with the Diamondbacks. The, the run production around baseball that year was so much higher than this year. Uh, 2019 was the, the juice ball year where the balls were flying out of the park and he pitched well and they won a World Series. And ever since then, it has just cratered. Uh, even while he makes, what is it? What's what's 140 divided by six? I pulled it up. 23.3 million. Which isn't as much as I thought, looking but, back but, at but it. But for a pitcher who, I mean, he should be paying the Nationals for his I mean, value. Can I read for, for, I mean, we know his statistics. Let me read off some of these horrendous statistics, not only for this year, but for the past three years or so. So right off the bat, his war is negative two and a half. So the Washington Nationals, if he didn't pitch the entire season, the Nationals would probably have like three more wins, which is insane to think. He's four and 16, which last year he had 16 losses as well. He was nine and 16 last year, but that led the league last year. And there's, he's still going to have at least seven starts probably. So I'm kind of hoping, I know stats, you know, wins and losses aren't really like uh, as important as they used to be. Kind of hoping he hits 20. I just want to see like the worst record, like, of all time. But if we're looking at it, 702 ERA, he didn't get out of the first inning last night. He pitched, he gave up um, six earned runs in two thirds of an inning against, oh, this, this is August 6th. I'm sorry. Not last night. Uh, two thirds of an inning, six runs. He gave up before that he pitched four and a third. So we're getting longer here with uh, four earned runs against the Mets. Before that, he gave up, <laughs> he gave up six runs in two thirds of an inning Against the Dodgers. I remember that. <laughs> really, the only two good starts that he's had this year is June 28th against Pittsburgh, mind you. He pitched eight innings and only gave up one run. And then his next start after that was against the Marlins. And he 
gave up one run in seven innings. Other than that, he hasn't pitched more than six innings in a single game, and he's gone below five innings, I'm pretty sure like 10 times already this year. But going back to his season statistics, even more if we want to dive into it a little further. So right now he leads the league in hits. He's given up 161 hits in 110 innings. And and once again, this is a year where we're not seeing as many hits. We're not seeing as much uh, run production. Yeah, last year as well, if you want to get into it, last year he gave up 192 hits. The year before that in the COVID-shortened season, he gave up 85 hits, was 85 hits, which was the most in the major leagues. Uh, he's leading the major leagues by like 1,000 in hits given up so far this year. Uh, he has the most earned runs this year. He also had the most earned runs last year he gave up he gave up 37 home runs last year and it's slightly better this year he's given up 21 so far oh, good for him I, I mean yeah he's getting on the right track but i mean this is just a a, a really really bad three-year stretch i mean we're talking about two and seven with a four six six nine and 16 with a 582 and now we're looking at four and 16 with a 702 and 23 starts. Now that is, I mean, the fact that you have 16 losses in 23 starts is admirable. It's 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 honestly impressive. And you got to give credit to the Nationals for helping him out just a little bit uh, by just being a little bit terrible. But I, I actually looked up um, the the worst ERA with 30 minimum 30 innings pitched. Now we Corbin is at like 110 or 111, uh, 110 yeah. and a third. Wasn't it like Roy Halladay in his rookie year or something? Yeah, so I was so I was trying to see how far down I could go with the with the innings, and it turns out there are actually a few guys over thirty innings with an ERA uh, over seven, uh, but there's only one guy over one guy besides Corbin over fifty and two thirds innings with an ERA north of seven, and that is uh, Joanna Doan, who was also a member of the Nationals rotation. Oh my uh, not goodness! Not now he was removed because he's not being paid twenty four million this year. Uh, but the only the only two guys with more than fifty, well, let me let me do it this way: the only three guys with fifty innings or more, and an ERA north of seven are Dallas Keuchel, who pitched for the White Sox and Diamondbacks and is no longer employed. Or he might, you know, he might be a. I think he might have signed a minor league deal somewhere, um, but he's that not sucks. on a major league team. Um, Joanna Doan, who is. Thrown 64 innings, is one and twelve with a. Oh my god! Ten ERA. <laughs> Uh, but they sent him down because you can do that when a guy's when a guy has options and isn't making twenty four million a year. Oh my God, one in twelve. And then Patrick Corbin is four and sixteen with the seven oh two ERA, one hundred and ten oh innings, which just towers over everybody else. And in fact, if you if you keep it going, um, we talk about guys with an ERA higher than six. Uh, there's nobody else who has more than 62 innings with an ERA in the six range. You have to go down to the five range to find somebody with more than find somebody else uh, with more than 62 innings. And that's Trevor Rogers uh, and Bryce Wilson of the pirates who are in the, the high fives, uh, a seven ERA. I, you know, that, that's one thing, the minus 2.5 war, <laughs> you know, there, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some machine out there, like something on the internet that tells you, a player's exact value, like based on like what their value should be in terms of money, uh, based on their their numbers, and you know whether oh, war, is, war is included in that. And I, I don't have the answer for you for Patrick Corbin, but it feels like he should be paying the Nationals. 
Yeah. Right? yeah if, uh, you're, if, you, yeah. if your war is minus 2.5, I feel like, you know, you, you should be the one. You should be worth minus 10 million or whatever that is. I, I mean, and, and it's so unfortunate because the Nationals are, are, are just, their hands are just tied because what do you do? You go, oh, wow, he really doesn't give us a chance to win. They're like 50 games under 500. It doesn't even matter. You might as well just, you know what? Maybe they're hoping that if they parade him out there and they just give him no run support and he gives up like 12 runs in two innings every single time he goes out there, maybe he'll just retire at the end of the year. Yeah, they won't have to pay the rest of the con. Yeah, just shame him into retiring. I think, honestly, I mean, we know what the organ, the Mike, the Mike, I was thinking Mike Rizzo, the Nationals organization has become is just a laughing stock. So, I mean, you know what? Now they're getting a viewer out of me. Every time Patrick Corbin <laughs> is pitching, it's going to be must see TV. Like, I, I, might, I, be, I might go to a game that Patrick Corbin starts. Why not? Yeah, it, it's got to be must see TV at this point. Listen, I just think that, and, you know, a lot of times, us as Yankee fans, I, I like to, well, we're spoiled. So when we don't get a free agent that we were going after, like I, you know, I usually get upset and I was upset for the first year after the Yankees didn't get Corbin because they didn't want to give him an extra year. That was the only reason he didn't sign here. My God, did the Yankees dodge and uh, like a, uh, a, uh, not even a bullet. That's like an H bomb that they that they <laughs> that they avoided. It's an interesting. It was an interesting situation because you you know you said after the first year you still felt that way. After 2019, a lot of people were upset that Cashman didn't go after Corbin. They felt that that was the difference between winning and losing a World Series. They because the the Astros went out and got Zach Ranky midseason, uh, and the, he he beat the Yankees in the ALCS, and the Yankees felt that that was the difference. The Yankees fans felt, I should say, that. The Astros got that 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 next piece in their rotation that sealed the deal and got them out of the AL. And a lot of Yankees fans felt, uh, of course, helped by the fact that the Nationals literally did use Patrick Corbin to beat the Astros in the World Series. A lot of Yankees fans felt that they had given him that if they had given him the extra year, he would have come to New York and he would have helped them beat Houston and probably win a World Series. Of course, the Nationals don't have him in that case. But um, <laughs> but you know, we talk about 2019. It's 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 just so strange. How he can go, you know, fourteen and seven. I don't care about win loss striker. They had a good team that year. Yeah, three, three two five though. A three two five ERA over thirty three starts. He threw two hundred and two innings. This is the a huge sample size that you don't even see that often nowadays in baseball. He struck out two hundred and thirty eight batters. Um, that's a you know a, a, a K per nine rate of ten point six, which is great. And it's for him, it's second only to eleven point one K point nine rate he had in. 2018 with the Diamondbacks when he finished top five in Cy Young voting. I'm just I'm baffled at how you go from that uh, to what we have now so quickly. And would you like to guess his salary for 2024? I think this is fun. It's not 24 million. It's not. It's higher than the average. I'm gonna say it's it's 30. <laughs> it is 34 million. Oh, that is absolutely disgusting. 34. Oh my god, what an absolute nightmare situation. Oh my god. But see, here's here's an interesting tidbit. Of information here, I think. Um, you said that before that he struck out 238 batters in 202 innings. The year before that, 200 innings struck out 246. I mean, we're seeing the thorough decline of a strikeout pitcher, and it's happened. It happens all the time. I mean, the first thing that I think of when there's a sharp decline in statistics is when CC Sabathia went from you know throwing 97, 98 one year. I believe that was what 2000. I think it was 2012 that was his last really, really good year of throwing hard baseball. And then he came back in 2013 
he lost 40 pounds and he lost five miles per hour on his fastball. I was going to say it was, it was whenever he started losing weight, whatever the year was that he lost weight, that was it. Yeah. But, but, and then he was never able to recapture that, that, you know, velocity again. And I mean, CC Sabathia defied the odds and turned himself into a pure strikeout pitcher into someone who was very, who at some points at the end of his career was the most reliable pitcher that the Yankees had in their rotation, you know, becoming an actual pitcher. Patrick Corbin just doesn't have, I feel like he just doesn't have the stuff for it. And I feel like we're kind of seeing the same thing in, in, a, in like a vacuum with Robbie Ray, because I feel like it's happening. The same thing is happening with Robbie Ray, where he's still getting the strikeouts. But it, if you're not, if he's not striking out 10 guys a game, there's some real problems. And I feel like it was the same thing with Patrick Corbin, where, you know, he was striking out nine, 10, 11 guys a game. And now, you know, he's serving up cookies up there and <laughs> You can't strike anyone out, and that's the problem. You can't strike anyone out. I mean, there's got there are guys who are pitchers, like who are who are crafty pitchers, and Patrick Corbin's not one of those guys. He was a strikeout pitcher. He had great stuff. He had a fastball, a big sweeping curveball, a really really good changeup. You know, you lose that velocity, your stuff automatically becomes that much less scary. Yeah, I mean, but we, you know, we've seen so many guys uh, be able to make that transition from a strikeout pitcher to uh, somebody who doesn't rely on power mm-hmm. to get hitters out. And uh, CC Sabathia is a good example of it. You know, he, he never became what he used to be, but he was a serviceable pitcher and he actually, he actually showed some improvement. He, he, he hit some bumps uh, when he was still trying to find himself and figure out what kind of pitcher he was after he lost that. Uh, and then he recovered a bit and I know he had one really good year. Um, other than that, he was serviceable and the Yankees, the Yankees really wanted him to come back in 2019 when he was considering retiring. He was he turned himself into a solid pitcher. A lot of these guys are able to do that, um, and the the fact that Corbin can't even become serviceable is incredible. Crazy. Uh, you know, even Verlander, like listen, Ver- Verlander still turns up the heat at certain points, and he still gets about a bunch of strikeouts. But he's not the exact pitcher he used to be. He's not the guy who's going to throw a hundred every pitch or anything like that he kind of found a way to turn himself into uh, somewhat of a finesse pitcher where he doesn't rely on being the guy who's throwing a hundred in the, in the eighth inning. He's able to get hitters out uh, no matter what his stuff is deceptive enough that he still gets strikeouts and he, he still can throw hard. Uh, but he's the guy who's able to transform himself. And uh, you know, for him, it's being more than serviceable. He's a Cy Young candidate at, at 39 years old. But the fact that Corbin can't even become Having one of his best seasons, too. It's it's ridiculous what he's been able to do after Tommy John's surgery, too. Yeah. But the fact that Patrick Corbin, that how many years younger, uh, can't do that is just very, very unfortunate for the Nationals. And you, ha- you have to feel like it's part of the reason that they're in this situation because the Nationals, if the Nationals were five or ten games better last year, Everything that they've done would have been pushed back. They wouldn't have been yeah. sellers at the deadline. They were not like sell no matter what at the deadline last year. They sold because they weren't winning. And of course, when they, they sold Scherzer and Turner, they were winning even less. Uh, and Corbin is a huge part of that. If Corbin had been had pitched like he did in 2019 into 2020 and 2021, you have to feel like things might have been different for this franchise, at least in terms of the timeline of when they moved on from all these guys. Yeah, and... I mean, it's I, I, he just sucks. He's just terrible. I mean, it, it really is unfortunate to see something like that. But I mean, like you said, I feel like they were going to sell regardless. But at the same time, 
this whole thing is justified by just saying one thing. Well, he helped them win a World Series. And we've seen this countless times where a team will win a World Series, you know, throwing money at free agents, you know, selling some of their best assets at the deadline to get rentals. And then there's this massive mess to clean up in the in the World Series hangover. And we're seeing probably the worst case of it I've seen in a really, really long time where you look at the Nationals and it's like, yeah, they got some great prospects, but there is just no hope for them for the next like five to seven years, it feels like. So, I, I mean... <laughs> That might be the last time that we see the Nationals in the playoffs for 10 to 15 years, maybe even longer. Who knows? It's it's just like, where do you even go from here? I mean, it, it's it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild. It's more like a restart than a rebuild, I feel like. It's like, well, we it's won the World Series. Restart. Let's tear it all the way down. Like, this is a full-scale teardown like we've never seen before. And uh, it's it's going to be real rough in Washington for a yeah. while. And let me say, you're not going to want to hear this, and I'm not going to want to say it, but doesn't that make you uh, – maybe appreciate isn't the right word, but doesn't that make you appreciate the, what the Astros have done? That Oh, I don't mind. I'll be the first Yankee fan to admit that I have no qualms about yeah, what the Astros I mean, did. But, you know, winning – they won a World Series in 2017. And listen, however they got there, they got there. We, we, yeah, you know, exactly. We, we can talk, that's a conversation for a different day. But they've lost uh, – they, first of all, they brought in Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, they went to another World Series. They lost him. Then they lose Springer, uh, and they lose Correa. Correa. They lost Verlander for two years, and they went to the ALC. They went to the ALCS in the World Series without Verlander, and they lost those three guys. And they keep replacing them. They they've never done any kind of tear down rebuild. Uh, they say you know they see a star hit free agency, and they say all right you know we we can put our money somewhere else. We've got a guy. The Patriots coming of the MLB kind yeah. of like. Or- no, they really are. They, they say we've got a guy in the pipeline coming up this time. It was Jeremy Pena. You know, the rotation, losing Cole and everything. They've had everybody. Yeah, uh, they, they, they lost Cole, but, I mean, they've replaced – they basically essentially replaced Cole with Akurdi and Christian Javier. And yeah, and, I mean, uh, and Freiber Valdez, too, yeah. came out of nowhere. In 2020 yeah. – now, 2020 is weird. They went 29-31. and 31. It was a transitional year without yeah. Verlander, and they still made it to the ALCS because of that ridiculous postseason format in the COVID season. But – you know, you had this. You had Frambert Valdez coming out and dominating in the yeah. postseason when nobody knew his name a year ago, and all of a sudden he's turned into a legitimate. Uh, I don't even was he an All Star this year? He's an All Star he pitcher. I think he was. I think he was. The, the fact that that they're able to pull these guys out of the minors, um, and and when they see guys hit free agency, they say, okay, you know, well, we can find a cheaper alternative and still win, and they do it. Uh, is amazing when you consider how the Nationals have just cratered. Since they won a World yeah. Series, you know, you know what I'll I'll say on the last thing I'll say about it in in terms of like kind of comparing the Astros and and like with the Nationals, like the so the Astros, I'm pretty sure in a three year period lost 101, 111, and 113 games. Then out of nowhere, when they started bringing up some guys, George Springer was the first domino to fall. Once he mm-hmm. came up, the Astros, uh, Altuve, and and Springer were the two guys that were the catalyst that really started that that turnaround. That next year, they came up. They made the playoffs unexpectedly, but they didn't sit back and go, "All right, well, we're still not, we're still two years away from where we want to be, so we're not going to go for it." As soon as they made the playoffs, they said, "You know what? We're going for it." And they called up these guys and they signed these guys and they traded for these guys. And next thing you know, they won the World Series two years after they weren't supposed to be in the playoffs. So. I mean, and that really says something. And they've sustained 
the success as well. I mean, they haven't won a World Series since, but they've come awfully close many times since. So hats off to them in that organization. Yeah, maybe they cheated. What organization hasn't cheated in some way, shape, or form in the MLB? I mean, they might have went. They might have went over the top, though. Compared to they, they might have, yeah, they might have. But I mean, it still got to appreciate what they personnel-wise what they do. It's it's it really does have a lot of parallels to the Patriots, and it's going to take some time to figure out whether yeah, the cheating too. Yeah, yeah but, uh, <laughs> got that right. I was going to take some time to see whether it turns into more championships, but, but what the you know in baseball where where you don't even know who's going to be doing what from year to year because so many guys get hurt, so many guys their careers just ebb and flow. The fact that they've been able to keep this up for six years now, and I'm sure they'll be back in the ALCS for a sixth consecutive year. Of course, uh, the Nationals really make you realize how unique that is and how tough that is to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Because who knows who knows how long the Nationals are going to be in this complete state of uh, disrepair. I think it's going to be a little bit. Now, yeah, speaking, I, uh... speaking of franchises who have been in a state of disrepair. <laughs> no, uh, that's not nice. <laughs> I promise that was not even a planned transition. Uh, the New York Jets finally got some good news. Isn't it funny finally. that the Jets get good news on a terrible situation? It's like, this is the good. I'm sure that. You know, the football gods were like, all right, we're going to give the Jets one piece of good news this year. They have to strategically plan it out when they're going to use this good luck break. And in the first quarter of the first preseason game, the Jets used their one good luck charm. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not great news. You know, if, 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 not great news. Out, if someone came out and uh, said a week ago that the new reality is Zach Wilson hurt himself, he's going to be out two to four weeks, may not play week one, we'll see. Uh, that does qualify as bad news, but when you see the injury that he went down with, uh, a non a non contact injury, which are you know, that's three words that you never ever want to hear, especially in the preseason, especially for a quarterback. But yeah. a non contact injury on the run, uh, in the preseason opener, in the first half, he limped first off. The field. <laughs> he, and he limped off the field immediately. You know, didn't not that he'd be trying hard to stay in a preseason game, but he really showed no interest in staying in. Uh, it didn't look good went down with this knee injury. Uh, I, I was mentioning, I, I think before we started recording, that a, a pro football doc, David Chow on Twitter, who's a great follow. He's not paying me either, but he is a great follow. Uh, <laughs> he, I, he he, said that this this looked like it had some ACL mechanisms in the knee just based off the video. Um, and it turned out that uh, not only is the ACL intact, but the LCL, MCL, all those PCL, all those injuries that... Yeah, all that, those uh, CLs. All the, all the CLs that could take off a few months from your, your season uh, are intact. And he's got a torn meniscus. And after he undergoes surgery, they're going to find out whether it's closer to two weeks or four weeks. Um, you know, meniscus just, is really the most whack ligament in the entire body. Like, it's the only ligament I know that you could tear and then you could be back to what you were doing like two weeks after. <laughs> no, the, the, the surgery, the surgery I, I think, is a, a really quick quick ordeal. Yeah. I think there's there's something you could do to the meniscus. There's some kind of tear that can keep you out for a couple months. I know Adrian Peterson had that happen a few years ago where it was like, oh, he could be back in like two or three weeks. Uh, and then they, they realized he did something to his meniscus that was, I think, like more like two to three months and he didn't come back until the end of the year. Um, but they, they usually can figure that out pretty quickly. I think Wilson, uh, it looks like it's just going to be two to four weeks. And as of recording this, the Jets season opener is four weeks away. Beautiful. So, you know, they, they may be looking at a situation where Joe Flacco goes week one, a revenge game against the Ravens. I know you'd be excited about that. 
I'm, I'm betting hard on, on the Jets week one if Joe Flacco <laughs> is the quarterback. Could you imagine if we have Joe Flacco against the Ravens week one and then Baker Mayfield, which we will, Baker Mayfield against the Panthers, against the Browns? Dude, I'm parlaying both of those games in, in, all, and, all and I'm going to win a million dollars. AFC North <laughs> revenge games. Sign me up for that. Uh, you know, <laughs> the real reason I brought it up, because yes, as Jet fans, both of us, unfortunately, um, we did get a stroke of good luck. Consider, I mean, if you... Everyone and their mother thought that this was an ACL injury. And, you know, I, I said to you, I said, it's Jimmy G season. <laughs> you know, like they're going to trade for Jimmy G or, or Joe Flacco is going to start, whatever it may be. This is great because, you know, we, we've been hearing all the hype about Zach Wilson year two, how it's going to be different, how he's going to improve. The fact that he only like worst case scenario will miss the first week best case scenario for us, honestly, because we thought the worst, especially as Jet fans, we immediately always think the worst because that's what we've been led to believe since we've started watching the franchise. But really the reason I brought it up and it really kind of carries straight over into the next question I had is, is should we just do away with these preseason games? I mean, how many times that this is an injury scare, but how many times have we seen a superstar end their season in a preseason game? Before their season even starts, yeah, it was it happened to Julian Edelman, right? Wasn't that a preseason yeah. game? I think it was the. That's back when there were four preseason games, and the third one used to be like they call it the dress rehearsal, where the starters play more than any any yeah. other time during the preseason. The fourth one would always be reserved for uh, for guys competing for roster spots. Understandably, get a final look at them, but um, but you know, with the, Julian Edelman was one of the guys who went down, and that that kind of cost the Patriots a little bit. I mean, they were, they were a team that was expected to be the single best in the NFL. And I I always say kind of, because they, they went to the Super Bowl and the offense was not the, not the issue. The offense was totally fine. It was the defense that gave up 41 to the Eagles. Um, But, you know, when you have a a team like that, losing a guy who ended up being a Super Bowl MVP another year later, uh, it makes you think. And now all of a sudden this year, Zach Wilson goes down. And I, I know there are more in between. I just can't think of the names. I think yeah, J.K. Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins, was J.K. Well, Dobbins a preseason game last year when he tore his ACL? I know. I think it was in camp. But either okay. but either way. But So, like, I just I, – I don't understand the – like, I get the whole, you know, you got to compete for roster spots, everything like that. All right. So if you want to keep preseason games, the guys who have locks on the, on their starting spots should not play at all. Look at what the, the Bengals are doing with Joe Burrow. He is not sniffing the 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 field in the preseason. And I, I am behind that 100%, especially someone with, you know, a pre-existing knee injury like Joe Burrow. Yeah, I would definitely understand that because there are guys, don't get me wrong, just because it's preseason, these guys are not taking it easy. There are guys who are third and fourth stringers that want to make a football team. I mean, if you look at the hit, um, what was it? Who who played it? The, the pa- Patriots, the Dolphins and the Steelers last night played. And um, I think the Dolphins had the balls tied at 25. The Dolphins had the ball at like the 50-yard line. And some defensive end came around the corner and absolutely mollywopped the quarterback and, and and he fumbled. Like these are real legit hits. These guys want to make a football team. They want to make a professional football team. They are not going to go easy on you because of your name. So it, it right. just adds that much more danger to, you know, these superstars. I don't want to see like I hope Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have a really, really long discussion about listen, 
one series for every starter, and and that's it. If that, I don't want to see Zach Wilson, or we're not going to see him in another preseason game. I don't want to see Elijah Moore. Anyone that was hurt last year, I, I don't want to see in a preseason game anymore. Michael Carter's coming back. Elijah Moore is coming back. I don't want to see Garrett Wilson in a preseason game anymore. I don't want to see no one in a preseason game anymore. Put those guys out there that are third and fourth stringers. Let them play the entire game. And and let Mike White play quarterback because he's the GOAT. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw some uh I saw this. The Bills played early yesterday and and Kair uh Elam, who was I hope yeah. I'm pronouncing that right. The quarterback yeah, you're right. quarterback from Florida, their first round pick, uh I think very good pick for a, a team that could use a corner. Um, he he exited with a head injury uh, early on yesterday, and they they uh, they tweeted, you know, Kyrie Lamb has been cleared to return, so no question. And everybody in the room was like, please don't let him, don't yeah. let him back on that field. We've seen enough. We we're good. He's ready. He's good. We don't, don't, worry we don't need him out. There. We don't need him out there. But you know, but but this is how this is how the NFL makes money, and uh, they they got rid of one preseason game and cut it down to three per team because they got that extra game, the 17th regular season game. Of course, it's a deal they'd always do. A regular season is always going to have more more eyes on it than the preseason. But the preseason does have eyes on it. I mean, look, we're talking about it. And, and unfortunately, yeah. injury is, is, is the reason. But there's a lot to talk about, I think, from this first week of the preseason. And if you don't have established players, or not even established, but, you know, the Zach Wilson's, Trevor Lawrence's of the world playing – it's going to cut into the NFL's viewership a little bit, I think. And that's why I, I'm wondering if we'll ever see preseason eliminated or anything but that, like that. Or, but that's my thing, Dan. Like, we're, we're talking about viewership right things? now. We're will talking about viewership. It, it's a preseason game. Like The NFL absolutely dominates. There is the NFL at the top, and then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's <laughs> everyone else in terms of sports ratings. There's no need for the NFL to be this hungry, this money-hungry to the point where they need to – worry about televised preseason game ratings like that is crazy i know that the nfl like really has no morals and their business is all like messed up and everything it really seems like from a from a viewer and, and a citizen standpoint but i mean we're talking about guys getting hurt here and i'm sure if a super if a you know zach wilson is a quarterback of my favorite nfl franchise i'm sure if you know saquon barkley got hurt and is out for six weeks and is going to miss time in the season. I'm sure I'd feel the same exact way. Why is a superstar? Zach Wilson is not a superstar by any means, but he is a starting quarterback on a football team. Why is he out there playing and, and getting injured? There's To me, I've, I've felt like this for a long time now with the preseason. Very unnecessary. If you want to play against other teams, have joint practices. Have joint so, practices if you want to do it. Yeah, and it seems like what you're kind of getting at, or maybe I'm just getting at it, but you maybe think of it. Um, you know, the NFL put in a rule, I think in 2018, they, they really cut that. They really cut down on, um, or they, they, they came down hard on guys hitting the quarterback. You know, we saw those, those, some of those really ridiculous, unnecessary roughness rules. Uh, I think like, I think the Clay Matthews was like hit really hard with it. And, you know, the Vikings had one, I think in 2018 where they barely touched Rogers and it was an unnecessary roughness. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, uh, the reaction from a lot of people was, okay, you know, this is taking away uh, a big element of the sport that I love. You know, we're, we're not seeing guys allowed to hit the quarterback anymore. You hit the quarterback at the wrong way, and all of a sudden you could be, you know, it's a penalty and maybe you're suspended for a game or something suspended like that. forever. This is not the football that I know. Um, but that year, there really weren't a lot of quarterback injuries, and I took note of this back then. There were 
very few major quarterback absences. And I know that that's changed a bit uh, over the years. And, and the last few years, there have been some. But in 2018, guys were, were very healthy at the quarterback position. And they, were not being, they weren't being hit as much. It was that simple. And the NFL probably looked at it and said, look, our bottom line, the money we make is better when the stars are on the field. You know, if uh, everybody might love a hit on Aaron Rodgers that uh, creates a highlight reel and goes viral uh, on Instagram or something like that, but it's it's I'll not worth it. Post. <laughs> but it's not. They're saying it's not worth it if Aaron Rodgers can't play for two weeks or even a week with a concussion or something like that. I mean, that's something that you can't really control, though. I, I in terms of for me, in in a regular season game, it's fair play. Like if but, someone but, gets injured in a, in a regular season game, there's really nothing that I could do about it. Yeah, but, but what I mean is is the NFL might look at the preseason and say, okay, we make money off the preseason. But if, if stars are getting hurt, that's going to hurt the money we make in the regular season. Now, yeah. you know, it, it, that's whether that's uh, worth it is debatable because, look, people are going to watch the NFL no matter what, right? You know, exactly. you could put – you can put uh, – like you said, if Mike White goes out there week one for the Jets, people are going to watch. Like that's must see TV. Honestly, that's, that's must see TV. People <laughs> want to see that. Uh, you know, th- this is the NFL. People are hungry for it, but they 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 might also realize that. Uh, listen, if if stars are getting hurt, that's going to hurt us uh, in terms of what people watch in the regular season. I mean, look at it. You know, I I'll, I'll probably watch every primetime game this year. Let's let's be honest about it. Yeah. But the more casual fan might see like, oh. Um, I don't know. Give me a give me a good quarterback. Give me give me one elite quarterback. Give me an Mike White. <laughs> okay, give me give me an elite quarterback who isn't unfortunately stuck behind another. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. So you know it, the casual fan would love to go out and see. Uh, would love to turn on the TV and see Tom Brady face. Uh, who knows? You know, let's say Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, of course. Uh, if Blaine Gabbert's got to start a game. I don't know if people are going to watch. I, <laughs> sorry. I mean, you know, it, people might watch like Blaine Gabbert and another bad quarterback because, you know, we love we love to inflict pain on ourselves with, and watch yeah, some course. bad football sometimes. But if it's if it's Blaine, quarterback and Aaron Rod- if it's Blaine Gabbert and Aaron Rodgers and it's a mismatch and everybody knows the Packers are going to win, that hurts the NFL. Less people are going to watch that. Yeah. So the NFL cannot have guys getting – key guys getting hurt in the preseason – uh, where it's going to affect their bottom line in the regular season. If so, if there's if there's any scenario where they get rid of the preseason, maybe that's it. And uh, in 2020, do you remember they didn't they didn't play a preseason in 2020? I do remember that. And week one came and went. Um, I, I tweeted this. I actually found the tweet a little while ago. I, I was searching for something else. The preseason came and went in 2020 without being played, uh, and week one was normal. There was nothing, you know, people were saying, one, guys are going to get hurt because they haven't been accustomed to game action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, the play is going to be sloppy because they're not accustomed to game action. And week one came and went, and it well, was perfectly case. fine. Perfectly fine, low on injuries, and gameplay was fine. It was not sloppy. Um, now, week two was different. I, I, I will admit, week two had uh, Saquon Barkley got hurt. Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Cortland Sutton, Cortland uh, Sutton tore his ACL. Uh, I think Drew Brees might have gotten hurt that week too, although that was really from the a hit. Um, so you know, week two there were some injuries, but everybody expected like this rash of injuries and this yeah. rash of sloppy play in week one after no preseason in 2020, and things were fine. So I think the only reason they went back to the preseason is to make money. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the name of the game for the NFL. I mean, I, we're talking about this. We've been talking about it for like 15, 20 minutes now. And the fact of the matter is, even though we both bring up really good points, the NFL is a cash cow. Any way that they can make money, the amount of money, that's what they're going to do. And it's not going to change. I, I hope there's something that changes, even if it goes down to two preseason games. I'm hoping that at least something changes to the point where I just don't want to see guys, like you said, I don't want to see guys play on a preseason field. I want to see them play in front of 85,000 people at an 820 game on NBC. That's what I want to see. That's that's the name of the game. And I want to keep those guys as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And, and so, to your point, let me yeah. just add to your point. I feel like, don't don't you feel like preseason only really gets attention in week one? Yeah, that's I don't it. I don't people, care about it after that. People, people are excited. Football is back. Like I even, I even I have a little level of excitement seeing real football on the field. Um, by by the time you get to a second or third preseason game, is that, is anybody really paying attention? No, I don't think so. So you know, so. if you cut it down to two, I still think you're you're going to make some money. I know people watch. I know people go to these preseason games and they get some gate revenue. Yeah, I feel like if you if you give us one good week of preseason, like people are going to be into that, and you're going to make some viewership off that. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, one thing that we had for you guys, this is the last thing that we had for you guys. I thought this would be cool. I made this little NCAA tournament style uh, bracket with quarterbacks on it. So obviously, if you guys don't know how an NCAA bracket works, it's a one seed against 16, two against 15, three against 14, et cetera, stuff like that. So uh, we've broken it down. We have the NFC side and we have the AFC side here. So Dan will be doing the AFC side. I will be doing the NFC side. Now, I gave Dan the more inherently hard one. <laughs> I, I, I will definitely say that. So the rankings, um, this is a ranking that I wrote down in combination of my quarterback rankings and of Dan's. So it was as fair as possible. Uh, you might not agree, but I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> for the, the NFC side. Um, the rankings we have, I have Aaron Rodgers, one, Tom Brady, two, Matthew Stafford, three, Dak Prescott, four, Kyler Murray, five, Kirk Cousins, six, Jalen Hurts, seven, Baker Mayfield, eight, Jared Goff, nine, Jameis Winston, 10, Carson Wentz at 11, Marcus Mariota at 12, Daniel Jones at 13, Justin Fields at 14, Trey Lance at 15, and Geno Smith at 16. So obviously it's going to go one against 16. And then in the AFC side here, as I flip my page, you have Mahomes at one, uh, Josh Allen at two, Justin Herbert at three, Joe Burrow at four, Russell Wilson five, Lamar Jackson at six, Deshaun Watson at seven, Derek Carr at eight, Matt Ryan at nine, Ryan Tannehill at 10, Mac Jones at 11, Tua Tagovailoa at 12, Mitch Trubisky at 13, Davis Mills at 14, Zach Wilson at 15, and Horseface Trevor Lawrence at 16. So, um, Dan, I gave you the AFC. If you want to go ahead and go first and tell us the matchups that you got i will write it down on my trusty sheet of paper here and uh really this isn't something that we have to go too in depth on i think that especially some of the early matchups are very self-explanatory like obviously you're going to take patrick mahomes over trevor lawrence but you know whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) but um you know if if you want to just go ahead and give like a quick you know synopsis of why be my guest so you want me to do the first round and then you do the first round or should i just go through the whole thing no, I think we could just both go through the whole thing. Uh, we'll right. go through like the, the first round. Like you go through the first matchups, I'll go through the first matchup stuff like that. All right, let's do it. Uh, yes, I. We got the spoiler alert already. I am going with Patrick <laughs> Mahomes over Trevor Lawrence. 
Uh, I think it's. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a better year. I'm sorry that Urban Meyer uh, got his career off to such a rocky start, but Mahomes is Mahomes. And two versus fifteen, same thing. Josh Allen. I can't believe that you're picking Josh Allen over Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. Uh, he's he's he might have the advantage over Josh Allen in some departments. Football is not one of them. Probably <laughs> not ever. Although they, they, do, they do have very similar arms. You know, they've got cannons for an arms. They were both drafted because of that raw arm talent. Uh, but Josh Allen is the one who's harnessed it so far. Uh, Justin Herbert over Davis Mills, as much as I enjoy Davis Mills and his neck, he is not better than <laughs> Justin Herbert. There will be no scenario where he is better than Justin Herbert. Uh, Joe Burrow over Mitch Trubisky. I think that's a matchup we're going to see a couple times this year. And I fully expect Joe Burrow to come out on top. If he doesn't, probably not his fault. Oh wow, some of these some of these matchups going to the next round are real tough, real fast. Okay, keep going. Sorry, yeah, we're gonna get to some fun stuff soon. Uh, Russell Wilson versus Tua. I I am not really a Tua believer. I haven't. Every time he does something that encourages me, he does something else that looks ridiculous. Uh, Wilson is still, you know, he he may not be what he used to be, but I think he's gonna have a nice year in Denver. Uh, Lamar Jackson over Mac Jones. Listen, Lamar, Lamar's got some, he had some turnover issues last year. He's still a little erratic as a complete player, still a world away from Mac Jones. He's a winner. Guy wins games no matter what. Gotta, gotta take him over Mac Jones. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill. It's, I think this one's pretty clear, but it is starting to get a little interesting. Um, we haven't seen Watson on the field besides preseason game in over a year, but Ryan Tannehill was on the field last year, and he didn't look that great. Ryan Tannehill looked like, more like a Jimmy Garoppolo type of quarterback last year. Deshaun Watson has top 10, maybe even top five quarterback abilities when he's healthy and on the field. Got to go with Deshaun Watson there. Derek Carr and Matt Ryan, that's an interesting one. Um, but I, I don't know if it was on here. I think it was on here. We talked about how gifted of a leader Derek Carr is and all he did last year. Uh, last year on the field and off the field to help the Raiders through such adversity. Uh, and help them win, I think, four out of their last five games to get to the playoffs, something like that. Uh, Matt Ryan, he's playing behind a better offensive line with the Colts. It wouldn't shock me if he came out and had a better year than Derek Carr. He's got mm-hmm. a better – he does have a better O-line. He may be rejuvenated by the new environment, just like Phillip Rivers was. Um, but based on what I saw last year and now the new talent around Derek Carr and the step I think he'll take forward, got to go with Derek Carr. Yeah, so that, that's that's one through eight there. Yeah, so no, no upsets in the first round. Not yet for for Dan in the AFC side. So I'm gonna go take over on the NFC side now. Uh, first matchup up, I got Aaron Rodgers at number one and Geno Smith at sixteen. Uh, you know that's pretty clear. Oh. <laughs> I don't really think I have to say anything about that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be advancing there. Uh, same thing here, Brady and Trey Lance. I mean, Rodgers and Brady are two of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen. So, uh, uh, my pen is dying. I need another pen, (laughs) but, uh, Brady advances over Trey Lance. So I think is actually going to have a decent year. I think that he is in the most quarterback friendly system in the NFL. So I think, um, Shanahan will mask any limitations that he thinks that he has. He's fun too. He's a fun. He he's yeah. a guy who's probably going to go like eleven for twenty two passing, but with like two hundred and fifty <laughs> yards. Yeah, he those deep balls. Yeah. Uh, then moving on to the next one, you got uh, Matt Stafford and Justin Fields. Anyone who knows me personally, you know that I have been a Matthew Stafford apologist my entire life, and uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer now that he won a Super Bowl. Uh, I think Justin Fields 
contrary to what his stats tell you, I think that he's a much better quarterback. I think that he's going to be in a perpetually terrible situation in Chicago. Uh, They've done nothing to really help him this season. So if he does play well, it's purely because of his ability and not because of what's around him. But I'm still going to go with Stafford, obviously, there. Uh, Let me write that down. Uh, And then next we got Dak Prescott and Daniel Jones at number four and 13. Uh, I still think Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback, regardless what people think. I think he is bottom half. I will say he's either nine or 10, but I think he still squeezes in there at number 10 or number nine. And Daniel Jones, I mean, I have a a hot take and I'll say it here and I won't even say anything further because it's a, it's a discussion for a different day, but I think that Tyrod Taylor is going to start more games for the giants this year than Daniel Jones. Interesting. That's what I'm going to say. Um, moving on, then you have Kyler Murray and Marcus Mariota. If this was like maybe a couple years ago when Marcus Mariota had like that random flash in the pan with the, with the Raiders, I'd say maybe this would be more difficult, but you got to go Kyler here. I mean, he just signed a, a massive extension. He is a very good quarterback, despite what I usually say about him. Next one up is one of the tougher ones. You, know, you got Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz. Now, the reason I have Carson Wentz so low, despite the year that he had last year is because he didn't show up when it counted and he hasn't really shown up much in his career when it really counts. Anyway, he's much more of a paper statistic quarterback than, uh, you know, like an important statistic quarterback in my opinion. And Kirk Cousins kind of sort of is the same way. Uh, he just puts up a lot more stats than, than Carson Wentz does. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find, uh, you know, a, a more serviceable quarterback, for a middling team than Kirk Cousins. I think that he he gets a lot more hate than he should. And he did play, you know, his his claim to fame being a choke artist in big games. But last year he played pretty well in big games. So I will say that that's definitely an up for him. So I'm going to go Kirk over Carson Wentz there. And then you have uh, Jalen Hurts and Jameis Winston. I honestly think this is an interesting one. I think both are going to have very good years, but I got to go with Jalen Hurts. I think his upside is much more higher than Jameis Winston right now. Uh, I think he has a better re- uh, receiving core. We don't know what we're going to get from Mike Thomas. That's another big question mark as well. And if Jameis can stay healthy, I'm sure he'll have a good year, but that's a big if. So I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts here. And then uh, finally, someone has an upset. At number eight, I have Baker. This isn't really much of an upset, I guess. At number eight, I have Baker Mayfield. Number nine, I have Jared Goff. I'm going to go with Jared Goff over Baker Mayfield, actually, because I think last year he had little to work with, and he actually had a pretty, pretty decent year considering he was the quarterback of the Lions. And when you, I, I, I sum this up perfectly, I think, to someone that I was talking to the other day was. Jared Goff is not a quarterback that's going to make the team around him better, but if you give him the pieces, he's going to perform. So I think that he can make him better. Yeah. So I think he has, you know, he has Hawkinson, he has DJ Chark, he has Jameson Williams when he comes back healthy, you know, Jamal Williams, uh, DeAndre Swift. A great offensive line. Yeah. A very, very, yeah. uh, They're going to be healthy. Taylor Decker is going to be healthy. Frank Ragnow is going to be healthy. I I think that they're going to have a, a, a very, very good year for Detroit Lions standards and I think that Goff is going to have a a good year for himself so I'm going to go Jared Goff over Baker Mayfield there to end my first round so should we dive into the AFC second round yes sir absolutely so you have all the matchups you got your first matchup up is uh Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen (laughs) well wait a minute this is this how much of a bracket is this if we're putting one and two together it's okay should I Should I do one versus eight? 
Um, yeah, let's do that. I completely messed that part up. So yeah, yeah we'll I do that. It. So the way it goes is, you know, the top one, bottom one, mm-hmm. second to top, bottom, uh, second to bottom, you know, so on. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I got it. I think. So we'll do, <laughs> we'll do Mahomes uh, and Derek Carr, which yes, that, that's, that's going to be a fun matchup. We're going to see a couple times here. One of the one of the many uh, AFC West great matchups. Um, but right now it's it's Mahomes. I you know Derek Carr is still limited in terms of what he can do. Uh, he's he's more than a game manager, I think, um, but he's not anything close to a top tier elite quarterback. Uh, so we we can't go there. We 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 gotta we gotta go with Mahomes. Uh, and then if I'm gonna do Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson, that's a good one. I yeah, it is a good one. And you know when Deshaun Watson is healthy and on the field, uh, you actually have something there. In fact, didn't didn't Josh Allen's first playoff game come against Watson and the Texans? Uh, I and I so. think Watson and the Texans won that. Uh, but Josh Allen has only continued to grow. It's turned into a probably the most popular MVP candidate this year. The things he can do on a football field are pretty ridiculous. Got to go with Josh Allen there. Uh, Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson. I think wow. you'd have some people with strong opinions on this. So there's a lot of Lamar Jackson supporters that would probably take him over Herbert. Uh, I'm not one of them. <laughs> I, I think that I think that. Listen, listen. You could you could come at this and make a good case for Lamar Jackson on the point that he has won more than Justin Herbert has won. You know, they mm-hmm. went 14 and two. Justin Herbert's never made the playoffs. So there's some differences here uh, in terms of what one has accomplished. Obviously. Lamar's won an MVP. Herbert hasn't, but I think Lamar Jackson, with his the turnover issues he's shown and the the limitations he's shown throwing the football in the playoffs, uh, I think Justin Herbert just has more ability. I, I love Justin Herbert to become a prime MVP candidate this year. Finally, get the Chargers to the playoffs. I am going with Justin Herbert over Lamar Jackson. Maybe that'll be different in a year. I don't know, um, but that's the way I'm going now. Ooh, this uh, is a tough one. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow and Russell Wilson. You know, you can you can make such a good case for Russell Wilson and say, look, Joe Burrow was the better quarterback for like four weeks last year at the end mm-hmm. of the year when he started playing like an MVP in Cincinnati. But I think it's kind of it's kind of foolish to say that, oh, that was just a flash in the pan from Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with the team he has around him, better offensive line now. Um, and the fact that he's only getting better. He's going to come out and play this year like he did late last year. Maybe not every every single week. He's not going to come out and throw 50 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has shown more of late than Russell Wilson. Um, I think, you know, look, you can make a case that Russell Wilson is going to go to Denver, a new environment, and catch fire. You know, got a whole arsenal of different weapons there, a brand-new offense with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, you can make a case, look, he's going to be like the MVP candidate he was in early 2020. I want to see that from him. I don't think we're there yet. I think Joe Burrow has shown it more recently, ended up in a Super Bowl, and he's only getting better. He's on a he's on the right side of 30, unlike Russell Wilson. I will stick with the higher seed and go with Joe Burrow there. All right. Let's see what I got here. Sorry if I take a second. I'm just writing down my matchups because I definitely messed this up <laughs> while I was thinking about it. So let's see what I have here. One second, just bear with me. Matt, um, Dan, talk about something for two seconds. <laughs> well, you know, so so let's look at all the quarterbacks who lost. Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> Zach Wilson, Davis Mills, Trubisky, Tua, Mac Jones, Tannehill, Matt Ryan. I think the I think the one that And we're back. Okay. Oh so. well, well, my point. No, I, I I do want to say I think 
I think Trevor Lawrence may be a little understated here at 16. I think he's out of all these guys, he might have the highest ceiling. It's yeah, he might, but he didn't show anything last year. That's so. true. But neither Moving on. <laughs> I think I think you've got a very unique situation with Urban Meyer being gone. And you know, we don't know how much of a a negative impact he had on him. So I, I'm very interested to see where Lawrence might end up next year when we try to do this. Okay. Okay. So my first matchup I have here is number one seed Aaron Rodgers against number nine, Jared Goff. Um, didn't Jared Goff beat Aaron Rodgers last year? Or am I going crazy? They, or they came very close, right? If they did. Yeah, but they did not beat the Packers. He yeah. did beat Kirk Cousins. I don't know if that's going to come. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, multiple time MVP, back to back MVP is against Jared Goff, even though I think Jared Goff is more than serviceable. I mean, he's not better than Aaron Rodgers. So we're going to go with Aaron Rodgers there. Uh, Tom Brady versus Jalen Hurts. This is a matchup that we actually saw in the playoffs last year. Uh, but, you know, Brady's the GOAT. I think that, that made it clear the playoffs. Brady's the GOAT. <laughs> the I mean, Nothing I could do about that one there, Brady, is the undoubted GOAT. Then you got Matthew Stafford and Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'm pretty sure when they faced off last year, the the Vikings beat the Rams, didn't they? Did, I think I they did. Remember. I think they did. You know, the, those Vikings had a weird way of, of beating teams that they shouldn't have beaten and then losing teams that they should have beaten. Yeah, I, I think they did. And I actually remember Stafford not having the greatest game because he was my fantasy quarterback in my most important league. Last year, and I think he threw like three picks that game, and I was super upset. But I'm not basing it off of that. Um, you know, Matthew Stafford is a bona fide winner now. I think we all can agree that in the clutchest moments, Matthew Stafford has way more than Kirk Cousins does. So I'm going to go Stafford there. By the way, and you, then, are, you are vindicated. He did beat – Jared Goff did beat Aaron Rodgers last year. Aaron Rodgers only played half the game in week 18, but they beat him. I'm still counting it. I'm still counting it. <laughs> and then uh, my last matchup here, I have Dak Prescott against Kyler Murray. Um, yeah, this is a tough one because this, yeah, because Dak comes with, you know, they they're both polarizing players to where a lot of people love them, a lot of people don't like them. Um, but I got to get down to it, and you know, even though Dak Prescott hasn't had the greatest success against not only good teams in his career, but even in the playoffs, he has had a tiny bit of playoff success. And I feel like he is more, way more of a leader in that locker room than Kyler Murray will ever be. So I am going to have to go with Dak Prescott um, going into that last matchup there. And in the, in the AFC, the one four matchup might sound a little familiar to you. Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Yep. And Joe Burrow beat him not once but twice last year, including in the AFC Championship game. And, you know, how that happened, it had maybe more to do with the defense than Burrow outplaying Mahomes. Uh, but Mahomes didn't play well down the stretch. Uh, however, you're not going to get me to pick Joe Burrow over Patrick Mahomes in a vacuum right now. I think that was a – I still don't really have an explanation for how Damn they it. managed to do that <laughs> in Kansas City, like at Arrowhead. While after being down 21 to three, I, I couldn't tell you how that even happened. But Patrick Mahomes is does things on a football field that guys like Joe Burrow, is, as great as he is, probably can't even dream of. He Patrick Mahomes is such a unique talent, has such a unique arm uh, that even with some turnover issues last year, he always turns it up when it matters. 
I, I I've got to go with Mahomes until further notice. Maybe maybe Burrow beat him again this year. I know they'll, I'm pretty sure they'll play again because they're both first place teams. Maybe that could change somebody's mind. Maybe Mahomes has some turnover issues this year without Tyreek Hill, just like he did early last year. Uh, but as of now, it's Mahomes and then Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. Tough. Uh, these are two very similar guys who have just such ridiculous raw arm talent. And they're also two guys who are incredible on fourth down. I think that game against the Raiders last year that the Chargers ended up losing in week 18, Herbert completed like endless third and fourth downs just when it looked like his team was out of it. And Josh Allen did the same exact thing against the Chiefs in the playoffs. And sure enough, same result ended up in a loss. Uh, but I, I think Josh Allen has proven himself a little more. Obviously, Herbert was more of a success story early on. It took Allen a couple of years. Um, so, you know, a year from now, I don't know. Herbert might be ahead of Allen. Herbert might have a deeper playoff run than Allen. Mm -hmm. The Chargers definitely have that capability. But right now, I think Allen is closer to Mahomes than he is to uh, Herbert or Burrow. I think he's proven yeah. that much. So, as you would expect, the top two in the AFC yes. come out to be Mahomes and Allen. So, yes, uh, the first two of our final four is Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and it's going to be straightforward here, too. As much as I do love Matthew Stafford in my two versus three matchup between Brady and Stafford, as much as I love Matthew Stafford and the fact that they did beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year in the, the NFC Championship game. The fact that Brady even brought that team back and they almost won, if it wasn't for a terrible play towards the end of the game, we might even be talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as champions again. Who I'm even knows? Huh? I'm glad we're not. Uh, I don't know. There's just a part of me that just loves Tom Brady. I don't know what it is, man. I, no, I, I don't know. know. But I'm going to have to go with Brady. I mean, obviously, like I said, he's the GOAT. and and even in his age 45 season, there's still very few players. There's still very few quarterbacks that I would take over Tom Brady, especially in a two minute situation. That's really where games are won and lost is that last possession. And I don't think there's anyone better than Tom Brady in the last possession. So I'm going to go with Brady over Stafford there. And then this is really one-sided. I mean, Dak Prescott versus Aaron Rodgers. going to have to go with Aaron Rodgers there. I mean, Sorry, there's no other no, no other way to go about it there. But um, yeah, as expected, one and two make it from both to our final four is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. Um, so in your last matchup before my quarterback meets your quarterback, who are you taking? I will still have to go with Patrick Mahomes. I think the his ceiling. When, he, when, he, when he's playing at his highest level, is better than anybody in this sport. Uh, I think, you know, him and Josh Allen both have this way of turning nothing into something. They make these ridiculous throws. Uh, there was probably, I don't know if there's been a better game in the last few years than that Bills and Chiefs Yeah, it was tremendous. Game. And they've met twice in the playoffs now. I've got a feeling that we're, that we're going to see a third and fourth in the next coming, you know, two or three years. Uh, and I have a feeling too that Josh Allen's going to win one or two of them. I mean, look. Yeah, I think so too. You don't I think it's the Bills here. I'll be. I'll right. be straightforward. I, I, I'm. I'm probably with you on that. I, I got to look into it a little more. But you know, you you look at um, some of these quarterbacks who have beaten Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. There's only three of them. Actually, no, there's only two of them. There, there's Tom Brady twice, and there's Joe Burrow. You know, and Brady did not have a better year than Mahomes uh, either of those years when he beat him. Joe Burrow was not better than Mahomes. Um, in general, when he beat him, you don't need to be better than him to beat him. I think Josh Allen is good enough 
uh, to beat Patrick Mahomes. And he's also good enough to win an MVP. He's also the closest thing that we have to Patrick Mahomes. Yes, yes he is. And I, I to be honest, uh, e- even though I rank Aaron Rodgers second in, in my quarterback rankings because he's coming off two back-to-back MVPs, as we project going forward, I think these are probably one and two in the yeah. NFL. I definitely agree with that. Uh, and if somebody's going to jump into that after Rodgers is gone, it may be Herbert. Yeah, uh, but as of now, I, I think I think Mahomes and Allen might be in a class of their own going forward. I, I had to keep Rodgers near the top because you know what else can you do after back to back MVPs? Yeah, he's been that good. Uh, but you know, in terms of going forward, Mahomes and Allen are probably one and two. But I think Mahomes is one. Okay, all right. So moving on. So in your in the final, you have Patrick Mahomes now. I know I have Rodgers rated higher than Brady here. It's one and two, but given what we've seen, I mean, just in history in general, it's going to sound crazy having a 45-year-old quarterback coming out as the top as the top gun in the NFC, but Tom Brady is a crazy individual. He's done crazy things in his career. He had one of the best – if it wasn't for the 2007 season, I'm pretty sure last year would have been his best ever statistical year. He was incredible last year. And, yeah, you could argue they have a, a, an elite offensive line. They have elite weapons. The guy is still, at the time he was 44. He's now 45 years old. He's doing things. I mean, when George Blanda was 45 years old, he was throwing 54 interceptions a year. <laughs> you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't admirable. It was sad at that point. Just put the guy in a retirement home. This guy is still not eating any sugar and still kissing his son and playing in the NFL. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's insane what he has been doing. and. You know, the success that he's had over Rodgers, who arguably before we saw Patrick Mahomes, I think Aaron Rodgers was the most talented quarterback altogether that we've ever seen in NFL history. You know, you you combine his athleticism with his arm talent and his accuracy. I don't think that there's anyone better in terms of quarterback talent, besides, well, until Patrick Mahomes came along. But I got to go with Brady. The, the guy just knows how to win. He's beaten Aaron Rodgers multiple times before. Uh, it, it's... You know what? Like I said it tw- how many times? Dude's the goat. Sorry. <laughs> you got to go with Tom yeah, Brady. There's a lot of people who thought he should have been MVP last year. I, I, I don't I don't think they're correct, but I, I there were a lot of people that's how good he was. Yeah. Uh, he threw he threw a, a career high. This is at 44 years old. Career high 719 times. I know there's an extra game in there. But, yeah, but still. it was still it was still what is this, like 80 more than I think his his uh second highest total. Uh, 5,300 yards, 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. The turnovers bite him a bit sometimes. You know, he, he's yeah. prone to that now. He can't throw like he used to. Uh, you know, He still that, has an above-average arm, too, which right. is crazy. In, in that Saints game where he was shut out, where they were shut out, uh, you know, he was – I know they were constantly getting to him and generating pressure, but he had some throws that were just ugly. But, yeah. um, but he makes those throws, man. He – it's amazing that a lot of his interceptions don't seem to be on deep balls. They really seem to be like mistakes that he makes uh, on shorter <laughs> passes. But then, you know, you get to the playoff game and uh, against the Rams and you see him hit Mike Evans for that touchdown. And you're like, okay, well, he's still got it. Like no matter what mistakes he makes, uh, 10 or 15 he's yards, Brady. he's, still, he's yeah. still got the arm. So, I, you know, I don't blame you. I probably would go Rodgers, but I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, I, I also I, – I know that this is more for like this season – but you obviously can't argue with the fact that he's coming off of a fantastic year and his track record being the greatest quarterback of all time. And, you know, you know the the your matchup versus mine. We're both taking Patrick Mahomes. 
you know, it, that's what it is. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. One of, if not the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen in the NFL is on top of that as well. Uh, you know, I, I can't argue with that, but I still think that if they met in another Super Bowl, somehow, some way, it would still be a lot closer than we think. Even at age 45 for, for Tom Brady, it's just the – it's just what it is, but I, I I would agree. I mean, you are taking Patrick Mahomes, right? I am. Yeah, I I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. I would I would laugh if you just said all these things, and then you're like, you know what, Brady? I take Allen too. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah, I no hate on Tom Brady, but you know, at this point, I I, I do think those are probably gonna be one and two. I also think in this in the third place matchup between Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. I think I'd take Josh Allen over Aaron yeah, Rodgers. I mean, that's, a, that's a real close one. You know, I yeah. ranked Rodgers higher, and based on what I've seen the last two years, I'll probably still go with Rodgers. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys where uh, he's in the headline six days a week for things other than football, and then all of a sudden, you know, they you see him play, and you think, "Wow, this guy's really good." Like you forget yeah. how you forget how ridiculously good he his arm is because he's in the news for whatever supplement he's taking or whatever mm-hmm. he's not taking. <laughs> But when when you see him on the field, you, you you start to remember how ridiculously talented he is as a quarterback. So you know, for now, probably Rodgers. But it, it's very very close, and I, yeah. I wouldn't blame anybody for taking Allen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have our first NCAA style NFL bracket. Uh, in typical fashion, I messed it up. At first, <laughs> uh, I would like to do another one of these. I would like to do this with either wide receivers or running backs, and then eventually, maybe, great. and then maybe eventually cornerbacks because I feel like those are really. I mean, you would know better than anyone else. I would assume quarterback, wide receiver, running back, edge rusher, and cornerback are the five most talked about positions on your rankings. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah, so I would like to maybe before the season starts, even week one, we talk about it. I would like to get. Uh, the other four of these out there because no, listen, let's face it, no one's going to sit around and, and see our t- our top center list. It's just how it's going to work. It's just how it is. But if we talk about the top five most talked about positions, I think this could be a really cool thing. And who knows? This could be something that we extend to baseball, NBA, NHL. You know, this this is something that I think could be really really cool. And it kind of it gives you an opportunity in a shorter amount of time to really kind of speak on your reasons of why you're picking someone over someone else. So right. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. But um, ladies and gentlemen, I know we said that it was going to be a shorter episode and this is probably our second longest episode, which is pretty funny. We say that every single week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought it's going to be a shorter episode. Usually never the case. So and with no guests, no guests too. I mean, we just love each other's company. I mean, Dan, yeah. you know, I, 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 I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I hope you feel the same way. But... <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pull that one out of you. Thank, thank you, Dan. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. This was episode six of the ASN podcast, your original co-hosts, goaded duo of all time, Dan Tracy, Peter Anderson. Thank you guys so much for listening. Dan, let us know that we could leave. <laughs> yeah, we we got to thank you. Well, first of all, thank you, everybody, for listening this long. It, you know, it was a long episode. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with these brackets that we do in the future. I think uh, running backs probably got the most debate going when I post those. You know, they're so subjective between offensive lines and guys with the ability to to catch passes and whatnot. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. 